The scripture passage is from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, take off your gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast it in the image of a calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up in revel. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My middle child is in theater production at her school, and so two nights this week I went up to her junior school to watch her in a play, It was a satire that poked fun of some popular teenage literature, Uh, one of one series in particular that took several hits was the series Twilight, the story Twilight. And so the main female character in the drama would stand on the stage and with very little emotion would first say to the vampire character, I love you. With my whole heart, you complete me. And then she would turn to the werewolf character and say, But I love you too, with my whole heart. You complete me also. It's strange, really, that part of the Twilight story, that one girl could fall completely and wholeheartedly in love with two boys. There must be something about that storyline that is appealing or The Bachelor would still not be on television, where at the end of every season, there, it, it's hard to determine who will get the final rose, uh, because it appears that one man is totally and completely in love with two, maybe three women. It's strange. It's really weird. But wouldn't it be even stranger If this happened in a marriage relationship, what if the couple had been to the altar, exchanged vows, exchanged rings, and then one in the couple decided that they were totally and completely in love with another? It happens. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. It's disappointing, hurtful, painful really. But does it happen in the Bible? Could it happen to God? That's our story today. 
The bride is the Israelites. The groom is the Lord. The best man is Moses. And the Israelites, the bride, takes off her rings, chunks them into the fire, and then takes with that, mol- that mel- melted gold, takes that melted gold and forms that gold into a calf. It would be like this. What if I took my wedding rings off, melted them down with fire, and then formed them, in, them into the image of a boot? And then I said to you, see this tiny boot? I'd like to introduce you to my new husband. Well, there's something about this husband that would be rather convenient. This boot is portable. It'll go wherever I want it to go. This boot does not appear to have a will of its own. I think it'll do what I want it to do. I don't believe that this boot can work a remote control. I don't think that this boot cares how I spend money. So I don't expect that I'll argue much with this boot. But what if you were to say to me, Dinah, why a boot? Well, I might say to you, well, it was just the first thing that came to mind when I heard the word husband. There is some discrepancy among scholars about why the Egyptians would form their gold into the image of a calf. Some scholars say that the Israelites choose a calf just because it is a place where the presence of God can reside, can rest, can sit, like the throne of God or the Ark of the Covenant. But I don't really like that perspective because then that just makes this whole story one big misunderstanding. And I think there's much more going on in this story than just a big misunderstanding. I think this is a story of blatant betrayal. Other scholars say that what's going on with the Israelites is they're just copying the local god, Baal. And maybe that is what's going on. Maybe they're just influenced by the people who surround them as they wander. But still other scholars say that the image of a calf is a reminder to them of an Egyptian goddess, Hathor. And Hathor was first depicted as a cow in early Egypt, and then in later years became a a goddess who had the body of a woman and the head of a cow. And she was the goddess of song and dance. And that makes sense to me, because what happens in this passage after the calf is created? Well, the NIV says that the Israelites sing, and the NRSV version says that they revel, they party, they sing, they dance. That seems to reflect the image of Hathor. But there's one other thing going on in this passage that I think suggests the Israelites have gone back to Egypt. And that is that what the story that immediately precedes the story of the golden calf is a story where the Lord takes Moses aside and says to Moses, there are people in the community, in the Israelites, among the Israelites, who have a a divine artistic design ability. And I'm going to use these people to create a tabernacle. 
Well, Hathor was the goddess of the artisans in Egypt. So she would stand in contrast to this thought that there were people among the faithful that God would instruct to create a beautiful worship space. I think in a moment of panic, the Israelites spiritually return to Egypt. And truth be told about this boot, this boot belongs on a Monopoly board. And this boot and I can have a lot of fun on the Monopoly game. We can stack up money, stack up properties, houses, and hotels. But really, this boot doesn't do me much good off of the game board. I think the great tragedy of Exodus 32 is that the Israelites have reduced their relationship with God to nothing more than a game. A relationship with God is risky business. It calls the people first to patience. And the Israelites don't do that very well. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 2 says that when Moses is delayed, well, the Israelites get right to business in creating another God. They can't be patient. You probably thought that instant gratification was a 21st century phenomenon, but obviously we've been doing it for thousands of years. We want what we want immediately. And the other thing that I see that the Israelites don't do very well in their relationship with God is provide a space of freedom for God to act and for God to speak as God will. You see, these are ex-slaves. And so they would be used to a relationship that was rigidly controlling and they wouldn't know what to do in a relationship where patience was required and where there was freedom. Jesus tells a story in the New Testament a story about an unclean spirit. And this unclean spirit wanders around the countryside looking for a home. And when the unclean spirit cannot find a home, the unclean spirit returns to its original home and it finds the home, home clean and well swept and vacant. And so that unclean spirit goes and gathers up seven other spirits The Bible says they're evil spirits and brings those spirits to live with it in its old home. I have wondered this week about the relationship between religion and relationship with God. How do those two relate? You see, religion, I think, has the capacity to allow us To keep our homes, our lives clean, swept up. But religion without relationship leaves our homes, our lives vacant and appealing to mischief. And so that I believe in our lives of faith, both relationship and religion are needed. Both discipline And a desire to allow God to act and to speak and the ability to sit in silence are needed as we walk our faith. I am 
found a troubling piece to this particular story in the Bible. You may have noticed it if you read the whole chapter. That is that God changes God's mind. It's not the only place that it happens in the Bible. It happens in other spots in the Bible. But in the first ten verses of chapter 32, as you heard it this morning, when God sees that the Israelites have created for themselves a golden calf, God says, I will destroy them, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. But Moses pleads the Israelites' case, and God changes God's mind. And the Israelites continue on their journey as God's chosen people. Old Testament scholar Terence Gretheim says that an openness to change in God reveals to us what is unchangeable about God, God's compassion, and God's promises. James Bryan Smith tells a story about a young woman, a teenager, who gets pregnant and decides to have the baby even though the father has abandoned her. She also decides at this point in her life that she's going to return to the church that her parents took her to when she was a child. And so she goes to that church and she begins to get to know the other teenage girls that are in that congregation. And she sees that they're making some of the very same mistakes that she made. And so she goes to the pastor and says, I'd like to give my testimony to those girls. I'd like to tell them my story. And the pastor says, no way. I can't let you do that. I think someone like you might rub off on them. When the baby is born, the young woman contacts her pastor again to set up a time for the baby to be baptized. But the pastor says, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I won't baptize an illegitimate child in my congregation. Luckily, the woman takes her baby to another church. And this must have been a church that knows the story of the golden calf. Because they must have understood that all of us have the capacity to make the mistake of putting another person or another thing or another idea in the place of God. And that when we make that mistake, there are often very painful consequences. But above all else, God's compassion reigns true. And that compassion is lived out among the faithful. And so this congregation took the woman and her child in. They baptized her baby. They provided a place for her to teach young people. They helped her finish her education. And when that baby was 10 years old, the mom and her child answered a call to be missionaries in Africa, where they still serve today, testifying to God's good love. I have a hope for you. My hope is that your relationship with God will be more than just a game. I even hope that you will practice your faith as a discipline, dare I say, religiously. But most of all, I hope that you will pursue a relationship with God that is authentic, at times messy, 
but is daily a relationship that you have with the one true God who has the power and the ability to make your life a real adventure. Amen.